This show is part of the Other Side Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Series 8, Episode 2 of the Binary Time Show on this 18th of July, 2020. Uh, This is Wayne here from a slightly overcast Bristol. I know we have to come in with the weather to be a terrible thing to change anything now. Uh, It is about 18 degrees out there and um, we have, it's getting a bit windy today. Well, up to 20, 25 kilometer miles, kilometers per hour winds and uh, overcast for the entire day. It's amazing how I can manage to fluff the startup after f- three years, but what can you do? <laughs> Over there on the other side, we have Mark. How are you doing, Mark? Not too bad. Practically four years at this stage, right? Yeah, well, thanks for that. That, that was a year I was hoping I could just forget. <laughs> Indeed. But, um Guess what? The summer is still over here. I'm in Killarney today and it's just raining and it's cool. Um, Witter is telling me that it's only light drizzle, but... Those big drops are telling me otherwise. And it uh, looks like it's going to be patchy rain and cloudy and mist and partly cloudy and rainy for the next few days. So, hooray. Summer hasn't rejoined us yet. I do miss Irish weather. <laughs> um, we are delighted to be joined uh, yet again, actually, by Mr. Mike Saunders. Mike, how are you doing? Hello, it's nice to be uh to be back as a um, Stammgast, as we say in German, like a regular <laughs> a regular guest. So hello from here from Munich. I have no idea what the weather's going to be like. It's just kind of <laughs> mildly sunny. Um, but Oktoberfest is cancelled. That's the most important thing. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the decision was made actually a while ago. But so everyone in Munich is just sort of walking around with their heads down and ah. just like cry- crying all the time that the, the biggest event won't take place this year. So there's no sort of talk of a Haustoberfest. <laughs> I think one brewery had an idea of posting beer to um, everybody or some number of people. So, because they normally they brew all this beer, um, a huge amounts of it to sell for Oktoberfest, and so you, you ah. suddenly got this giant hole in the in the production schedules. It's it's serious business here. Yeah, <laughs> that beer has to go somewhere, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But um, nice to be here, guys. And, and I don't know. This is probably like my fifth appearance or something. I didn't realise it was four years now. Congratulations! Thank you very much. It uh, it surprises us as well. Uh, every every time we're on, we're going. How are we still doing this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What are we talking about? <laughs> um, okay, then, Mark. Do you want to give us a bit a, a rundown of what you've been up to over the last fortnight? I suppose a lot of what I've been doing over the the last fortnight is uh, playing with my Volophone. Ah, yes. So it's, uh, as before, I suppose it's only two weeks since I got it, but um, it's still fairly beta software with the Ubuntu Touch. Um, There's a few quirks here and there, but the guys are uh, really getting stuck in and clearing off bugs, which is nice to see. And, you know, incremental better kind of operating system on my phone so and it does everything i want to do still i can still make calls i can still sms uh telegram works on it and you know um my bluetooth sometimes work depending on the the device but yeah it's it's coming along nicely so you're daily drivering it yes okay but i suppose as you know like my daily drivering is Fairly light use. Like, I'm not a heavy phone user. I, I, yeah. I'm i not an app man or anything, you know. So mm. um, the likes of Ubuntu Touch is perfect for me because I can make phone calls. I can send texts. I can use the apps I need to use. Uh, I don't do banking and all that kind of stuff on my phone. Sure. Uh, so I don't miss it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the majority of the stuff I do with the phone is with my work phone. You know, my, my personal phone is fairly fairly light use, really. Yeah. Is is Ubuntu Touch still being developed then or maintained? I'm not sure what yeah, the status yeah. is of that. Um, mm-hmm. Ubuntu Touch was dropped by Canonical back in 2017. But yeah, so I seem to remember that. But It was then taken up by the UbiPorts Foundation. 
And uh, they've since then they moved it from I think it was on the fifteen ten kernel, and they moved it up to sixteen oh four, and they're developing on that. And the, the number of phones they're they're supporting just keeps on increasing, you know. And I mean, for for a really small community of developers, they're doing amazing stuff. Yeah, you know, and it's it's great. It's it's nice to be able to support them as well, and to use devices that respect my privacy. I have an old um, Samsung Galaxy S3 Mini sitting ah. in the cupboard, um, so I'll I'll have to check it out and see if it actually works. I, there's probably some some kind of free software operating system I can put on it, and I always feel guilty about it being in the <laughs> cupboard because it is relatively old now. It's like seven years old, but it's still a trillion times faster than my Amiga and that, <laughs> my old Amiga from the 1990s, and that's a benchmark for me. So <laughs> I have something so much more powerful that I'm not using, and and I have to deal with this internally all the time. <laughs> Life is yeah, I, I do kind of know where you're co- coming from with that, Mike, actually. And it's interesting for you to say, uh, for, for to hear you say, um, you know, is Ubuntu Touch uh, still going for me? Because actually, I just I just kind of embraced Ubuntu Touch a couple of months ago. And I realized how much of a bubble we're in, actually, by, you know, by you saying that. And um, it is a bubble, actually, and, it, and it's only un, un t- unless you kind of take it on board that you live within that because for me in my world now there's almost only Ubuntu Touch I, I, I've almost forgotten about the other operating systems that exist even the big ones they don't even they don't even enter into my mindset even though I'm surrounded by them um, so it was just interesting to hear you say that actually uh, and how that kind of affected me but I suppose you do get caught up in your bubble and we're all in our own little bubbles a little bit hmm. I think it's good to have um, more choice as well yeah I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a bit out of the loop with those with mobile operating systems um but any any extra competition for apple for this duopoly of apple and um and google android is is crazy yeah, yeah sure sure and th- there's so many we'll say operating systems kind of being developed now at the moment like you've got um you've got ubuntu touch you've also got the phone i have is a volo os and that's a made in germany phone it's uh, gigaset for the people behind it and they have their own operating system based on AOSP, and that's uh, Volo OS. Uh, you've got Selfish, you've got Postmarket OS, um, you've got Fosh, and you know the the whole uh, Librem Five going on. So, and of course, you've got Pinephone doing their thing as well. So, you know, there's there's a lot to be optimistic about out there. But I suppose, as you said as well, you know, um, it's not really out in the out in the, the wider community, not many people are aware of these these projects, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But you didn't mention MicOS, Mark, so I'm afraid I'm going to have to leave the podcast. I'm leaving the podcast oh, yeah. now. This is just... Oh, it's MicOS now on mobile. Yeah. If, if, if you can run QMU on your phone. Oh, I see. Then, okay, ah. interesting. There's a, there's a project. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Well, that's my afternoon taken care of. Hey. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so Mike, what have you? Uh, anything? Anything else from yourself, Mark? Sorry. No, yeah, that's that's it. I've just been playing with the follow OS, really. You know. Sure, sure. How about you, Mike? What have you been uh, up to for the last fortnight? Or maybe you can go for the last six months if you want. <laughs> wow. Um, <clears throat> so I guess I'm a free BSD user Ooh. now. Um, because I bought a Nintendo Switch. Ah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and I believe looking at the Wikipedia page about the, the Switch's operating system software, um, it suggests that bits of it are pulled from FreeBSD kernel, but there's the whole of the graphics layer and, and everything's, um, it's all proprietary, of course. Um, but it's interesting how BSD code from the BSD project still finds its way into, um, lots of different devices and, I seem to remember back in the day, Microsoft, some parts of, of, of Windows um, displayed a BSD license logo. I think their command line FTP client of Windows yeah. 95 or something. So is, am I right in that? Yeah, I, I think it was in a so lot of the TCP stack based on some BSD stuff or something. Yeah, I think so. I think they, they just took that code, yeah, because it was, it was really good, well-performing code. And here we are now, so many years later, and, and that's still... Um, taking place, um, but yeah, I, I don't know how much other free BSD it is. I never see it, these little demon logos or <laughs> anything like that when I when I start my my switch. Maybe there's some 
um, something buttons I can hold down. But um, <laughs> otherwise, yeah, what have I done since the last podcast? I, um, I don't even know. Oh, I have. Um, yeah, I'll just give a shout out to the um, developers of Big Blue Button um, because I've done some online teaching. Uh, during the the lockdowns and um, using Jitsi a lot, really like Jitsi, but Jitsi's pretty limited for online teaching. There are no breakout rooms, no way to quickly put people into separate rooms. But uh, I have tried out Big Blue Button, fantastic free and open source project. Um, all the things you need to to teach online to do classrooms. The schools I work for haven't used it yet or haven't deployed it, um, but. Uh, yeah, I just want to. If if any big blue button developers happen to be listening, then I just want to say thanks for your for your work. Is big blue button self hosted? I I haven't used it, or I've I've heard of it, but I haven't used it at all. Is it self hosted, Mike, or is it something that you kind of sign up to, or or? Um, I I it's self hosted. Um, I did find a demo server. The way I managed to try it out was finding. I don't know if it was on Big Blue's own site or. Um, or just from some other uh, site that was that was hosting it. Um, you can sign up for plans. I, I found a German company that offers um, that that hosts it, and then you can pay and, and have it all done on their infrastructure. But um, but yeah, you can roll it out yourself on your own um, infrastructure. It might be a good sort of Raspberry Pi type of project. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Oh, great. I must I must have a look at it actually, and I maybe even. Uh suggested to our organization but they haven't listened to me for the last 10 years so i mean why why start now but the, the thing is maybe not in, in your case wayne with the whole brexit thing and everything but i mean you see the the european court of justice just ruling about the whole privacy shield thing um a couple of days ago and i think the idea of data sovereignty and um not hosting a lot of personal data outside of Europe and having it going to the US and everything, it's going to be, it's going to become a really big thing. Like a lot of companies that are relying on the likes of Microsoft or whoever else to, to host their, their online services will probably have to be looking for alternatives like Big Blue Button, like Colabora and all the rest of them. Yeah. You know, and Nextcloud, of course, things like that. Yeah, I would definitely give it a look and uh, have a play with it. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I hear you say all those words in a sentence uh, very cleverly put together. And, and, and I've been at my organization for a long time and um, I, I just see them trundle along doing what everyone else is doing. Uh, it's so hard to get them off to move off the MS stuff. And uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm weary from trying. You can kind of tell from my voice a little bit, but... Um, well, there's nothing like a big legal stick to kind of get people sure. moving, <laughs> you know? Yeah, sure. For sure. Yeah. I might just jump into what I've been up to for the last two weeks and uh, we uh, can then have a chat with Mike. Um, the I've been... Um, I better mention first off that I've appeared on Maker's Corner with Yannick and Nate. Uh, I don't think the show has been released yet, but it should be released soon. And um, I made the mistake of posting a few photos of a sort of a power supply I built from an ATX uh, com computer power supply and putting it all together into, uh, I don't know, a pretty um, harsh looking MDF box uh, with some um, uh, binding posts. Uh, that's my That was my word of the show, actually. Which are basically just places where you can plug in sort of uh, cables to run your little electronics projects. It was a nice little project to do and it was a few years ago I did it, but uh, I appeared on their show and uh, spoke about it. It's called Maker's Corner. Check it out. And as Yannick kept saying during out, throughout, throughout the show about the Binary Times, I better say it, I better uh, return the favour. Another great show on the Open Source Podcast Network. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, That's something I should probably say as well. I, I went on uh, Linux Lads. And um, that has been released, actually. But I had all kinds of problems with my, my audio uh, before and during the show. So it's it's not my, my best outing ever. But uh, it was a great show. The lads right. pull off uh, a good show all the time anyway. Nice one. So it was nice of them to invite me. Um, I've also been sort of playing a lot with sort of, I, I won't go into this on this show, really. But it's just to kind of say what I've been doing. I've been doing a lot with... Um, 12 volt uh, powering things from 12 volt uh, batteries and the like and um, I kind of inherited a solar project that uses um, the Victron energy devices and at the time I was 
I, I, I didn't know I didn't know anything about this sort of technology and um, I was I, then I just assumed Victron Energy was just another company selling solar um, solar devices uh, mainly solar controllers actually and all a solar controller does is uh, any sort of as the sun hits your solar panel the solar controller just um, works out how much to send to the batteries and how much needs to be drawn from the panel to charge the batteries or how much needs to be uh, sent out to the circuit to deal with the current load that's required for things that are running currently. I hope that was a, a semi-okay explanation because I've only got a semi-okay understanding of it. Um, however, the Victron energy stuff is open source and I was really surprised to, to see that I could actually go and download and install a a, uh, a um, Victron Venus, it's called, and it's an image for the Raspberry Pi. And what it does is it takes data from the solar controller in uh, in sort of MQTT format, MQTT, yeah, MQT, MQTT format, and it actually pushes it out to your network. And so I can just put in an IP address and I can get information from the solar controller on my phone or on a tablet or on a laptop or whatever, um, and just see all those kind of geeky stats that we all like to look at to see uh, what's coming in, what's going out, etc. It's been quite fun to do that and to look into that stuff. Um, again, I won't go into it in great depth now, but uh, like I say, just to have another use for a Raspberry Pi, uh, at least that's one more I could take off the shelf and put into uh, a, a little project. Indeed. Um, so I'm going to jump over to Mike. Uh, Mike, it's great to have you back on. And um, and I know we're here to talk about uh, the Document Foundation and LibreOffice and, and all that. And um, listen, I... I I just wanted to start off chatting to you about uh, the, the distinction between uh, the documentation, the Document Foundation and LibreOffice and what those two organizations do and the links between them and the things where there are the places where they aren't linked. Would you explain some of that to us, please, in layman's terms? Because I've used LibreOffice for years and years and years and love it mm. as an office suite. And, uh, and my partner said to actually to say, make sure you say to Mike that uh, LibreOffice is fantastic and she loves the way it never changes. You know, uh, no, sorry, it, the way it never changes. Now, when I say never changes, I just mean in design and in always knowing where all the buttons are. And I know these yeah. are just little things, but they make a big difference, actually, when uh, sort of office suites are, are, are moving things around. And uh, um, so uh, she wanted to say thank you uh, directly to you guys for all the work that you've been doing. So I, she'd be delighted that I actually put her into this. But um, uh, yeah, can you just sort of give us a rundown on the Document Foundation and LibreOffice and the links and the not links? Uh, in between them. Yeah, sure, happy to. Um, but just to that point that um, your partner appreciates it not changing, it's always difficult with software, with any project. We all know the XKCD cartoon where um, uh, a software developer fixes a bug that, that heats up the, the CPU when you hold down space. And then somebody complains and says, no, I, I use this spacebar <laughs> heating thing for my workflow. Stop changing my workflow. And so with something as big as an office suite, a lot of people don't want anything to change in, in the interface. Some people say, no, we want a completely new redesigned user interface. So the, the amount of people you have to satisfy is, um, and different workflows is mm. enormous. But, but yeah, um, the LibreOffice and Document Foundation has been in the news, the tech news at least, uh, recently, even on the register and some other sort of more mainstream tech websites. And there's been a lot of confusion about um, the different parts of the project. So basically, um, the Document Foundation is a non-profit German charitable entity that's set up in Germany in 2010. So it's 10 years old now. Um, yeah, in September, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. Well, well remembered. Um, we, we we don't have a, a live conference this year. We will have an online conference, um, but um, yeah. So the, the Document Foundation was set up in the uh, aftermath of Oracle and buying, um, taking over Sun and then Open Office and what happens to Open Office and, and etc. Um, so the Document Foundation was set up deliberately as a non-profit entity to oversee the LibreOffice development. We have statutes, legal binding statutes that, that say what we do. We are not a software house. The Document Foundation is not a software house. That's an important distinction to make. People say, why doesn't TDF do X, Y, and Z? When are they working on this feature? And we say that's not really... We do do some development. You know, Our core goal is to 
ensure the development of a free office suite and make it available to people. But we're not developers. There are only 10 people in the Document Foundation. Some people assume we're a giant software house, but there's only 10 of us or maybe 11 now. Uh, but we're very small. We all work from home and uh, we we are we have spe- specific purpose and requirements as a non-profit entity. So that's TDF. Then there's LibreOffice, which is the software and the project as well, um, backed by a much larger community, hundreds of people working on it, um, free and open source software. Um, but TDF and LibreOffice are two separate things. TDF um, has a board of directors, a volunteer board of directors that kind of set the path for LibreOffice, but we still can't say, or the board can't say, this feature X must happen by this date. You know, it's 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 free and open source software. Things happen when people step up to develop it. Um, so we don't tend to set extremely specific goals. We're, TDF is just here to provide some infrastructure around the project so that LibreOffice can be developed further by other people, by the community. And then you have um, the uh, ecosystem companies as well. So 60% of the source code commits to LibreOffice come from companies that are working on it. Um, and some of them are like uh, Linux companies as well, like Red Hat still employs a couple of people mm. to work on, on to write LibreOffice code, for instance. And that's that's the ecosystem. So I hope that does that provide a, better, a sort of clear description of who's what and that's where. really clear thank you actually yeah I, i'd just like to ask the question though why was the the document foundation set up as a non-profit and not as a software house to drive the development of LibreOffice? it's a good question i wasn't there at the time um, making those decisions so there was an awful lot of politics involved and i don't really want to um um, second guess a lot of the decisions made at the time but i think the one of the main goals was to just get it out of the hands of companies um, mm. or to, to stop companies having too much influence on it. Like apparently with OpenOffice back in the early 2000s, um, Sun back then promised to at some point set up a meritocratic um, non-commercial foundation to oversee the development of OpenOffice, but it never happened and it still basically stayed under Sun's control. So um, yeah, I don't know the entire decision-making process at the time, but I believe it was a case of let's just a, – a, a non-profit – um, and there were limits to, on the board of directors of the Document Foundation. You can only have a certain number of people from uh, one company to stop conflict of interest. So um, you can't have um, 90% of the board of directors all working for one particular company because um, then you'd have that problem of the company influencing LibreOffice development. So um, these decisions were made um, a, a while ago in order to, to – to keep the foundation separate and independent. Um, and uh, and it was set up in Germany. I think one of the main reasons is that there's always been a historical connection to, yes. um, you know, Star Office was created originally by some German guy in, um, I think, in Hamburg in the 1980s, Marco Burres. And then as he set up Star Division, I think he's in Berlin now. Um, I think one of the, one of the guys on our team has actually had contact with him recently, which oh, is nice. quite cool. Like, hey, hey, you got that code you wrote <laughs> 35 years ago. Um, bits of it are still being used, maybe. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was set up in, in Germany um, because there's there's um, there's a, a historically a strong connection between Germany and Open Office. Um, we could argue too much, actually. It'd be nice to have to be more international, um, but just for historical reasons, Germany and, and, and OpenOffice and TDF all fit together. Do I, do I remember uh, reading um, this? It's only recently, in the last couple of years, the last um, German comments were, were replaced with English ones or something like that? There, yeah, this was um, this was a few years ago now. I think um, uh, there were lots of um, German code, uh, German comments, um, and like variable names still left around from the the olden days. Um, they weren't super important, I don't think. Hence why they're not being touched. Mm. But it, it, yeah, that's, it is a, a good reminder. You've got a seven million line code base there. I know there are even bigger ones, but it's um, seven million lines of C plus plus with a lot of layers of uh, abstraction. And things, you know, code that goes by uh, passing word perfect files and things that, that's really old and hasn't changed in a, in, in a long time. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, yeah, the German comments is a is is an interesting link to the past. 
It's incredible to be continually maintaining that, all that old code, and yet providing a coherent office suite, you know. Um, it's all done with strings. Um, I, I, that's all I can say about that. I've no idea, you know, how the heck that is, how that hangs together, you know. Well, I think I think the, um, the, the first employee of the Document Foundation, or possibly the second, is um, Cloth Christian Lawmeyer, who's our release engineer and an all-round incredibly smart guy. Um, and I think... Again, I wasn't there at the time, but I think TDF's reasoning was you need to be able to build releases. You know, we've seen OpenOffice a few years ago still struggling along, trying to even, having problems even building because the the old build process was, um, yeah, duct tape and uh, a horrible mess. So I think uh, one of the earliest, one of the first things TDF did was to fix the build process because it doesn't matter how good the software is or how many features you want to add if you can't build it. Yeah. Um, builds keep failing yes. because of completely bizarre things like one random German comment somewhere then. Um, but yeah, I think today, I think you can build, I haven't actually tried it myself, but I think you can build LibreOffice with a single command or maybe a couple of commands. Amazing. Nice. So, um, so as you kind of uh, alluded to, um, LibreOffice has uh, found its way to various uh, internet uh, news sites <laughs> recently. I'm trying to dance around this beautifully. Um, <laughs> uh, can you chat to us a bit about what all that was about and what sparked that off? Yeah, so um, there's been a lot of confusion about this recently and perhaps it's something we at TDF should have explained better um, but as I mentioned before 60% of the source code commits to LibreOffice come from companies in the ecosystem so companies surrounding partners and, and who are, who are um, doing a lot of the grunt work implementing new features and those companies are, are struggling to to make money or um, or they're just they're not getting the returns on what they're investing in um, and there, there are many, many instances of large companies deploying LibreOffice, downloading it from the TDF website, installing it on 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 computers and not contributing anything back. Now, that's their right. You know, that's the, the um, one of the rights given by free and open source well, software. It's, it's their right, but it doesn't make it right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so the, the discussion has been taking place over the last couple of years. What can we do to improve that? Like, obviously, there's an ecosystem that works in Linux, you know, apart from Linux from scratch and, and some hobbyist distros, any large company deploying Linux is expected to get it from Red Hat or Canonical or SUSE or whatever. So how can we do something similar with LibreOffice? We at the Document Foundation, it's not our goal, our job to promote random companies or specific companies. We are a nonprofit organization. But without these companies developing LibreOffice, um, you know, we just have... TDF, and as mentioned, TDF isn't a software house. And we do have some great volunteer developers in the community, but with 7 million lines of C++ code with some uh, that goes back a long way, it's hard to attract. And let's face it, an Office Suite is not a really cool, sexy project. If you look on the Linux subreddit, you see people working on games and um, media players and, and uh, web apps and, and really cool stuff and, uh, which attract new developers or other developers. But when we say, yeah, hey, random volunteers, do you want to join our project and, and contribute to 7 million lines of C++? It's not <laughs> to make an Office Suite. It's not super attractive. Sorry, just yep. to be fair, yep. I think... LibreOffice is just so feature complete as well. Is there a lot to develop for? Well, I mean, um, in terms of a desktop app, it, it does 99% of what 99% of people want to do normally, yeah. Um, but you look at online, we have yes. LibreOffice online now that's largely developed by Collabora, one company. Um, and um, the mobile apps could be better. So there are plenty of other directions to mm -hmm. go in, even if the desktop app itself is... Um, yeah, I, I use it all the time and I'm pretty happy with it. But um, so this discussion was taking place. How can we um, encourage large companies to to use um, uh, when they're using LibreOffice to get it from the ecosystem? And if you do, you guys remember the Heartbleed incident with OpenSSL? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So um, 
just to clarify for any listeners that don't know, OpenSSL a few years ago had a major security bug um, and uh, everyone was scrambling around on the internet to fix it because OpenSSL, I think, was in virtually every device on the planet and um, linked to uh, by so many pieces of software. And people were aghast and said, how, how could this huge bug be found in, in such an important piece of software? And as they investigated, they found out that OpenSSL was developed, was maintained by two guys part-time, um, I think they're in the States, um, and everyone was aghast of like, I can't believe this is happening. This critical infrastructure is barely being developed or supported mm. by a couple of hobbyists. Mm-hmm. That's when Google came in. Was it open infrastructure or open core or something? Um, and came in and said, right, we need to put some funding into this. These tools are important. So we say it's a similar, it's not the same in LibreOffice and that um, they're not that much under threat, but you know, if, if people have got to look behind and say, who's developing the software? And if we don't support them, um, we get donations to TDF from end users, which are really, really nice. But large companies using LibreOffice, it's really in their interest to to get it from an ecosystem, pay for long-term support, pay for custom features and, and bug fixes, which through the open source license will come back into Lib- LibreOffice anyway. We see this in loads of other free and open source software projects in in um, in yeah, Linux, as mentioned, has a, has a pretty strong ecosystem around it. So how can we do that for LibreOffice? And one of the ideas was to not change anything about the software or TDF or the license, but change the name to position it or add a tag to the LibreOffice name to position it clearly as the one you get from the Document Foundation is not supported or not we don't provide long-term technical support and it's um, backed by a, a small non-profit. So the idea came out, controversial idea <laughs> to call LibreOffice uh, from LibreOffice 7, which should be released in about three weeks, um, to call it LibreOffice Personal Edition. Now, there was a massive sugar storm around <laughs> that. Um, and because um, the change was made to the code before it was really properly communicated, there were some internal discussions and the name wasn't even finalized, but somebody put a patch in, um, fair enough, but um, yeah, this is the nature of open projects. And the internet went rare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, but we can look at this on the good side. There wasn't um, some secretive stuff going on. Mm. Um, there, these... We had marketing calls discussing this where anybody could join. Uh, the marketing plan that my colleague Italo made was was put out there. So, um, but yeah, a change was made to the source code, and this tag was added before properly decided or communicated. And then the internet went mad, understandably in, in some respects. But there were a lot of misconceptions. OMG, LibreOffice is going commercial. Well, no, LibreOffice stays the same as it is. TDF is going commercial. No, TDF stays exactly as it is. TDF is not going to be selling enterprise versions of LibreOffice. That's not in our interest at all. Um, basically, everything's staying the same as it is. But hopefully, those ecosystem companies around LibreOffice will get a bit more um, support by from large companies deploying it. But the name Personal Edition has all sorts of connotations. Um, it very clearly... Dis- um, distinguishes what LibreOffice is from TDF. It is a for your personal computer and your personal use. But it's also um, arguably not the best name. So uh, it looks like the name may be switched to Community Edition. I think this, this decision is still um, being made and the board directors is looking into it. Um, so it may be called Community Edition in LibreOffice 7. But again, nothing changes in the software, nothing changes in the future, the license TDF, LibreOffice will be LibreOffice. Um, but this is all about positioning the, the version you get from TDF. The idea is hopefully if a big company deploys it and everyone's using LibreOffice Community Edition, some people might ask their boss, you know, hang on yeah. a minute, why have we got this Community Edition? Can we not get something better and then the company might say oh maybe we should actually give some put some resources into LibreOffice or some money so that's the plan but we didn't communicate it brilliantly and lots of things happened quickly and then lots of news websites gave us terrible headlines so so well personal edition is a has far too many connotations in terms of reduced functionality software from the past to to ever be a, a good kind of edition name, I think. Yeah, it's it's effective in that it really, really distinguishes LibreOffice as as a as a um a a personal thing that you use and not for large companies. But like you say, the name has a lot of connotations as well. So um and we don't want people to think they're getting a cut down 
project. This is not open core where TDF will be selling add-ons or anything like that. That won't and can't happen. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of people saw it the same way, Mark, and that's why the discussion carried on. Those discussions were ongoing, but... Um, yeah, some of some of the uh, the tech press ran away with the story, um, saying that this is the future of LibreOffice. It's like, no, guys, we're still discussing this. So, personal edition was proposed, um, but I think it's more likely to be community edition. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I suppose. I mean, uh, I, I had. I, I don't know whether this comment is helpful or not, but I suppose a, a lot of uh, focus went back on LibreOffice for a while. <laughs> I know it might be focus that you yeah. particularly want, but at least it kind of came into the forefront of people's minds again. And um, you know, there's 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 a bit of a uh, you know, oh god, what am I trying to say? I, I, that um, I'm not really trying to say anything, but at least that LibreOffice comes out to the fore. And I know not in uh, not in the light that you guys particularly want, but and uh, I do agree with Mark with the sort of personal edition uh, wording. But like you say, Mike, nothing had changed except uh, the words that were on the about box, basically. And um, and having to kind of come on and sort of, uh, and I'm sure, sort of justify this in so many forums and, uh, and shows and things like that probably gets a bit tiresome. No, but you're right in that it, it put a lot of focus on LibreOffice, a bit uh, negative at the start, but it is... As you saw the discussions develop, and I, I think of Reddit, there were like three large Reddit th uh, threads on the Linux subreddit about this. The first one was just full of people aghast and, and getting the wrong idea that we're somehow going commercial. Then the second one started to focus more on free and open source software funding. And by the third thread, everyone had settled down a bit. And the, there was really then really good discussions about free and open source software funding in mm -hmm. general, which which we can talk yeah. about and how that works. So people started to, once people got past the rage or, you know, something's changing and, and I don't like it, yeah. um, or the misconceptions, then by, by a few days later, the discussions were really good and I, I wasn't having to put out so many fires. But then actually people, even if people didn't like some of the things um, proposed, they still got the point. Free, big free software projects need funding. 200 million users of LibreOffice, we estimate, and... You know, where, where's all, where's the development coming from? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it was good to put that in the in the limelight, even if we got a lot of flack at the start. But to get people talking again, yeah, where does the money come sure. from? Sure, um, and uh, you're right; it has to come from somewhere, and it's such a difficult thing in the like free software world. Uh, I I actually don't know how it all kind of strings together and and but when i do think about it about where money can come from i'd like to see state sponsored bodies uh, sort of give back to open source and that was the first thing that kind of i mean and i think mark probably mentioned that actually but and um, if governments are using it surely a um using it just isn't enough but actually feeding back into the project has to be beneficial to them in the long run yeah, and I think it would it, it beneficial for Europe to have um, a strong operating system that isn't, you know, why why do so many um, government organizations buy Microsoft Office? Okay, it's got plenty of features. It, it is usable software, but you're a, you're a UK, you're an EU or UK government organization and you're giving all, sending all your money to America. Yeah. Um, you know, that was one of the arguments here in Munich for the switch to Linux back in the day, which obviously didn't go great for a lot of political reasons, but... Even if even if um, Linux at the time and OpenOffice was missing some things that Microsoft provided, let's pay local people here in Munich to implement them. Let's feed our own yep. economy. The argument was very sound. We, um, that's good for our economy. That's good for our local IT. But yeah, in a lot of cases, people just think, yeah, I'll just keep buying those American products and nothing, <laughs> nothing against America. But it's um, I would I exactly like you say, when I would like to see more <clears throat> support for free and open source software and LibreOffice from governments. We know that it's being used in the um, by government um, agencies or departments um, like the Italian military uses LibreOffice and more support would be really good. Yeah, big time. Uh, it's tricky, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I can kind of understand it from... Okay, so when... Sorry, just to get... 
I don't want to labour the point of this personal edition thing, but um, the so, so sort of individuals l- using LibreOffice and, and getting LibreOffice and then sort of getting this uh, version that they're unsure of what it is, etc. And I mean, the first thing that sort of came to my mind in that scenario was uh, out of the personal edition thing was, OK, what about sort of small charities that use LibreOffice or maybe small businesses? And, and where does like the, the words personal edition and where it sits in their organisations has, I don't know, has a it's a bit distasteful in my mind. No, distasteful is the wrong word. I, um, but it, it doesn't seem to fit their model, shall we say. Um, and um, But I, I do totally understand where you're coming from. And the money has to come from somewhere. And um, and I'm afraid I don't have any answers. Uh, <laughs> but I, I would like to think, like you guys are proposing, that the bigger organisations do give back and... Is that in the uh, in the nature? I suppose I was hinting a bit as in the last sentence about uh, free culture, the idea of free culture and getting something for free, and and and, and the ideals behind free culture, and um, and people who can afford to give back to give back, and those that can't or or maybe don't want to don't, you know. Um, but the idea that it is out there in this world already, LibreOffice is available for you to download for free and use. Yeah. I think one of the problems as well is um, a lot of people, a lot of large companies um, deploy LibreOffice for free, get it completely for free, which is their right. That's fine. But it's very hard then to tell them later that they should start paying. Yeah. I think this doesn't happen so much in the in the Linux world because large companies tend to go straight to um, Red Hat, Canonical, SUSE, whatever, and, and look at, you know, a large company doesn't deploy um, Slackware well, maybe some do. Slackware's cool, but you know, a large company doesn't typically get some small distro um, deploy and then thinks later, oh, you know, maybe we should pay Red Hat to do some things. But um, because yeah. we have this end user product, this this office suite that is free from from the start. Um, so there's been a lot of discussion about how much we should emphasize the word free as well. Um, and you know, this is a whole other <laughs> topic of free. I asked Richard Stallman once, do you know what? Was using the word free a really good idea back then for free software? I would have suggested Libra software, but mm-hmm. <laughs> here we are now. <laughs> um, but we, we're always telling people we TDF provides builds of a free office suite, which is true, and that's part of our mission. But is the software actually free? It is free as in freedom, but people get so used. We all get so used to it. I, I try and put myself in this mindset as well. If I'm using the GIMP, uh, which I use all the time and generally like it, but I find something that's incredibly frustrating. And then I've, I try to remind myself it's free, but it's, is it really free? Somebody's working on yeah. this and maybe I should, you know, give a bit of money to them. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And I suppose if, if you have feature requests, if there's something really annoying you, like, should you be able to just um, file it as a bug or should you have to file it as a bug with a bug bounty or something, you know? Yeah, that, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard for as well at the, at the moment for end users to contribute financially to LibreOffice development because you know, we can, if somebody says, oh, I want this new feature or this bug fixed, we can say, well, you can go to the large companies in the ecosystem, but um, yeah, they they tend to um, work with larger sums of money for long-term projects. So that's something else that, that does need to be fixed in the whole LibreOffice ecosystem is, is, is a way, maybe with bounties so that lots of people can contribute together smaller amounts of money, which then get pulled together. And that's something else that's being discussed at the moment as well. But that's, that is um, a, a limitation in our current setup. Mm. I totally get where you're coming from, actually, with what you said earlier, that, you know, a, a company or an organization just sort of pulls LibreOffice down from the web and it deploys it across a load of machines. And then the kind of expect to pay later model. I mean, I was trying to think of things in life where you kind of, you get the use of something. So you get a car and you drive it for maybe, you know, two years and you, then some guy comes and says, oh, actually, can you give me like, you know, 500 pounds a year to sort of maintain the car? It kind of just doesn't sit, does it, that well in, in maybe in, maybe historically the way things have done. But I suppose when you get into the world of feature requests and, um, and getting the, the software, well... Uh, sort of to do your your own bidding in in a way and having having a bit of clout behind. Well, I, it's not clout either because any changes a company requests uh, are 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 they going to be just beneficial to the company or beneficial to all? It, it it's it's hard to kind of um, 
I'm finding it difficult, as you can see, to get my head around the model and how to kind of actually monetize it in such a way, which is different where you go, Microsoft Office, we need 50 licenses of it. Of yes, that'll be £2,500 and it costs an extra grand a year. I don't know, I'm making up those figures, but it's very clear kind of need something, pay money, get product, use it, um, rather than, oh, this thing we've got, oh, pay now? Oh, why? You know, uh, yeah, it's just interesting. It's just interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. With with Microsoft Office and, and most proprietary software, people are used to paying from the start. So um, it's they, they don't have to go through this change of mindset. And, and of course, a lot of this is explaining what free and open source software is as well. So large companies deploying LibreOffice, get it for free, don't realize that they they should it would be good for them to financially support it and also that it's open source software as well i think for a lot of people it's just oh free free thing give me that yeah put it on the computers and um i see um at like schools here in munich open office ancient versions of open office being used people still using them battling to open um microsoft office mm-hmm. documents which open way better in, in modern LibreOffice, sure. but I don't know who made the decision to install that. They've obviously not maintained it. Otherwise, they would have updated to LibreOffice or at least even a newer version of OpenOffice. Um, so that's a, whole of the, that's a whole part of the mentality as well. Oh, free thing. Give me that. Put it on the computer and forget about it. But it doesn't, it doesn't just magically support itself. So I think it's, it's also about educating people that um, they need to support the software as in updated as well. So, yeah, it's... There were no easy solutions to this. Otherwise, you know, we would have done it years ago. Um, there were a lot of different things to, to take into account. Um, but and we, we have lots of useful feedback from other free and open source software projects as well. We, TDF has an advisory board. Uh, and we had our last call on Wednesday where different a guy from KDE was there and a guy from the Free Software Foundation Europe was there and all giving us feedback about Excellent. this. Yeah, uh, Criticism about this um, personal edition tag, hence why I think it will be changed anyway. But um, but yeah, lots of discussion about how do you monetize free software and well, could, what what other projects have been successful in that? We can say I think we can say Linux has been. You know, Red Hat was made a. I remember when Red Hat famously became a billion dollar company, but mm. based on free and open source software. Sure. Are there other examples of free? software projects i mean haven't nextcloud kind of uh moved in in a direction that's working for them i guess so yeah i don't know so much about them but uh, they seem to have tackled this quite well of having add-on um or value-added services yeah and, and it's mainly support i understand um yeah i think that's key because everyone has in their head that software as a service is something that has to be paid for you know, so if you're hosting stuff or you're providing support or you're doing your software as a service, people are prepared to pay for it. For standalone applications, I just think they're kind of, they're perceived slower on the value chain, especially if they are free and open source software. They're just something you install. And like you said, Mike, you forget about it. And that's probably the worst thing as well, because you end up with this really old, crusty bit of software that's horrible to use. And everyone gets a bad impression then of free and open source software, you know. But I suppose the only thing to do is to keep on educating people on how, you know, software ecosystems work. And like, you're only going to do that if it becomes part of the the curriculum of of schools and stuff really mm-hmm. you know and it should we should all start lobbying our um, our local politicians and <laughs> get it up the education <laughs> curriculum yeah it would be great to see it in education and 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 and, and to be honest i don't like in my world in in in, in my mind it's the only answer. I, 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 I yeah. now it's not the it's not the answer I'm seeing out there in the wild, but it's the only answer. It 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 doesn't make sense not to. I see my own son has to be given a uh, you know a, a Microsoft account with all the access to all the apps, and that's what all the teachers are using, and that's what everybody gets, and then the whole mm. school has one, and and um, 
and, yeah, and that's what they're brought up to use. And I don't understand, like, okay, obviously I'm an advocate of, an advocate of open source software and free software in, 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 in the different meanings of free as well. I hold my hand up to that. I do apologize, Mike. Uh, but um, the, um, I think that, you know, I, I, I kind of hope for a kind of a, maybe, maybe rather idealistically a, a, an open world rather than what I see as a closed world. And, and, and I don't know why schools from the people's, right up from people's initial impressions of life and uh, their learning uh, that they wouldn't embody a, uh, a, 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 a oh I don't know a, 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 an, an ideology such as this going forward to to uh, you know t- to know that it's more of a shared open way of living your life rather than suddenly um, I'm trying not to say the word but um, kind of h- hanging on the capitalist model throughout our entire lives for everything for all aspects of our lives and when you were talking about software as a service mark and I was thinking about what people are spending now a lot of the companies that uh, are the, the, the people that I have worked for th- it, it's always been bottom line for them and um, yet they'll still use the MS products but th- there's other incentives there that I won't go into that they have for using them but um, the things people will spend money on is their own entertainment without thinking about it Netflix uh, mm. TV now and all this other stuff. I don't even use them, so I don't even know the right names of them. Um, but and um, but to spend it on on your office suite, as as you said earlier on, Mike, is just not cool. Yeah, and um, in 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 these discussions over the last week or so, I've seen a lot of mentions people calling LibreOffice freeware, and then I I do Ouch. sort of turn a bit Richard Stallman at these points and and say. Um, uh, you know they, that that is something very very different. LibreOffice is free to download, but it is free and open source software. And then I I do a bit of explanation about that. Free is in freedom. Um, so uh, I feel like a bit of an old guy. You know, get off my lawn, you kids! But um, you're on the right show. Trying you're on the right to. Show. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you make a, a really interesting point there as well, Wayne. That um, yeah, people are so yeah, people don't consider paying for mundane daily tools that they use um like here i am i've I've got a mac right here but if i look at the software in my dock it's pretty much all free and open source software i've got gimp libreoffice vlc um firefox um thunderbird as well so um yeah i can't apart from like apple's notes app i I, the rest of it is is free and open source software but um and yet if i pay 60 euros for a video game for my nintendo switch then that's completely normal (laughs) for me and it's like it, it, would be, it would feel different to just get something like that completely for free. I know there are free-to-play games, but I think that's a good mm. point. Yeah. Uh, uh, mm. It's such a conundrum. It is a conundrum, and it's it, it's very difficult to answer, and I often find myself in, in, in turmoil trying to, uh, A, justify my own actions, which are um, uh, flaky at best, and, um, <laughs> and uh, trying to uh, move the things that I believe in forward, which are the things we've kind of sp- spoken about. Um, it's been like great to hear your thoughts on these things, Mike. Um, I feel like we should move around to under the hood, Mark. Um, I feel like it's coming up to that sort of point in the show. Um, is there any other anything else you, you want to throw at Mike? Or no, uh, I think it's um, thanks for having me on and to have this discussion as well. Um, and this discussions are still ongoing and inside the LibreOffice project and also on the internet as well. Um, and it, this is good and really healthy, even when there are a lot of differing opinions. If we can all, one thing that I think brings everybody together is the fact that we all recognize free software needs to be funded. Mm. You know, Richard Stallman has said this early on. People say, oh, you're some kind of communist, you know, thinks everybody should do stuff for free. And, and he or the FSF position is it's fine to make money off free software. As in, you know, self-support and documentation and things around it as well. There's nothing. It's not um, some anti-money thing. But um, so I think we're everyone is roughly in that same um, boat that free big free software projects need to be funded. How we get there is part of the ongoing discussion. Yes. But um, I think we'll we'll see some results after LibreOffice Seven, hopefully. Great. And I suppose uh, on on the bright side of the whole thing, it has been proven this uh, free and open source software projects can be funded and people can make a lot of money out of it you know red hat is the prime example of that yeah yeah i mean it has been proven we're, we're not going into completely uncharted waters here where um so you, you guys want to make money using free software or oh, we don't tdf is we don't have that financial incentive but um yeah yeah red hat was was a great example and there are plenty of other companies that have, that have done well um if i think of who's the company that 
develops a lot of wine. Is it code weavers? Yes. I think it's code weavers. You know, a much smaller example, but um, building on a free and open source software project, but being able to monetize it and contribute back to the code. I mean, there are probably loads of examples like this. So like, like you say, Mark, it has been done before. Mm. Um, it's just converting the, the current LibreOffice situation into one of the into the putting it into this position is uh, is a difficult process, but yeah, it's good to talk about. If any of our huge governmental and scholastic audience wanted to uh, donate to LibreOffice, where would they head? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's they they shouldn't uh, they can donate to the Document Foundation, but that, that's actually a good point, um, Wayne, because maybe there is somebody listening who thinks, yeah, those those guys have a point. LibreOffice needs support, but just donating ten million um, euros to TDF wouldn't necessarily achieve something, you know. Um, uh, again, we're not a software house, so they should. We have um, a page on our website for LibreOffice in business and large organizations. That's where they should go and think, right, we should get a supported version of this from a company that's actually developing LibreOffice and contributing back. Um, so yeah, thank, thanks for asking all those all those <laughs> companies listening. <laughs> <me. Yeah. laughs> uh, make sure you send us those links, Mike, and we'll get them in the notes and stuff. Yeah, great. Thanks. Yeah. Okay, so um, under the hood uh, this time round, uh, Mark, would you like to kick us off under the hood? I've just thrown you into the limelight there, but it, yes. it, it's traditional. Why not? Um, well, my under the hood actually is from uh, Mike from the Linux Lads. And he just told me about a new uh, competitor to Cadmus. And mm-hmm. it is called Noise Torch. Right, so it's it's another tool uh, to remove uh, background noise from recordings. Now, I haven't actually installed it yet. I decided not to have another disaster today. <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, but I do plan to um, to install it and test it and and see how I get on with it. And hopefully, we might have a lot smoother or less noise recordings from myself in the future using using this bit of software. Exciting times ahead. Indeed. <laughs> Mike, how about you? Yeah, so my find of the four tonight. <laughs> oh, wait, what, what show are we on? Um, <laughs> that's, that's embedded in my brain. Um, I think, um, Wayne, you, you took a photo of us all sipping from our mugs at the start of the podcast or just before. So we, um, listeners will be able to see that I was holding up um, a plastic mixer with something called Huel inside. And this is, um, I'm finally getting on the Soylent bandwagon. Um, Soylent is a, um, these are meal replacement drinks. So um, they've been around for a few years now. They're they're being developed. And um, the idea is you have everything. It's it's really good for geeks. You have everything in a a, uh, a shake, all the vitamins and minerals you need, carbohydrates, fats, all protein, all balanced out. And you just mix it together, shake it up, and you've you've got a meal. And um, so I've been trying out a few of these different ones. And today I'm drinking Huel, which is a, something from the UK, H-U-E-L, like human fuel, I guess. Like Linux distributions, they all tend to have rather kind of <laughs> <laughs> um, quirky names, let's say. Um, it sounds wrong to me. <laughs> sorry? It sounds wrong to me, like Huel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, th- there's another one I've I've tried, which I really like from the Netherlands, called Queel. But the the name is just like I don't even know where it comes from. But it, it's a really nice full meal in a drink, tastes good and everything. But the name is like it makes me think of like Queasy. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. I don't know if they'll have to rebrand at some point, but um. They're actually really good, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's some sort of placebo effect that I feel better after drinking them as opposed to having, you know, a big bowl of pasta where, um, which is also satisfying but can leave you feeling bloated. But, um, mm. yeah, this is the – this could be the future. So um, is this something you have as a main well, – at what point in your day do you have one of these? Or is it, is it a morning thing? Is it an afternoon thing? Is it your actual meal or, 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 or where, do, where, where do you put the replacement in? I always have them for breakfast, but sometimes I replace lunch as well. With okay. Them. Um, you get about 500 calories in, in okay. one. Okay. Um, and yeah, um, there are people who live off them um, constantly. Like if, if you look on the Huel forums, you see people talking about switching their entire diets to it. Some out of necessity, if they like got um, problems with teeth or jaws and they can't chew, then mm-hmm. um, you know they can they can just basically drink this. But um, yeah, people like. Um, 
doing sports and stuff or people traveling um long long distances when we think of um was it ben when he walked all the way from dublin to istanbul turkey istanbul yeah then uh he could have taken packets of (laughs) this with him for (laughs) instant meals on the go i'm sure he had way more interesting (laughs) food along that journey than, (laughs) than this but um, I, I can, yeah. I guess, yeah, you could take it with. I, I was imagining him walking yeah. him just with all these packs, missing all the culinary delights along the way, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Arrive in Istanbul and instead of going to some yeah. really nice place, oh, that's yeah. like cool. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, it's. Um, yeah, I'm trying more and more of them. So when when uh, next time I'm back on the show, I'll I'll give you an update on all the other ones I've tried. Great stuff. And, and how, how many muscles I've got. Oh, yeah, yeah. We can, we're already <laughs> seeing the benefits, you know? very good um i'm going to uh sort of rattle on a few under the hoods from listeners and uh uh, ben regular contributor to the show um in the chat recently brought up the r clone browser now ben recommended r clone to us uh, quite a while back and um i've been i do use it and i find it really good especially for just uh, actually, I use it for backing up servers up to an offsite location. But the Rclone browser is a um, it's a GUI front end to Rclone, and uh, now I haven't checked it out, but I am looking at it, and um, because I need to go back into the office to use it, actually, because that's where I'm. Um that's where I'm using Rclone at the moment. Of course, I could remote in and use it. But um, the, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a front end for Rclone. It looks nice and simple to use. If you don't want to remember uh, all those command line flags, um, uh, this is uh, just a little checkbox version of um, uh, checking where your 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 backups are going. And uh, of course, it it uh, connects to all your, I, I, bring it up, I brought it up in front of me here. I'm trying to, uh, it doesn't actually tell on the site where it connect back to but it anywhere our clone connects back to I, I believe it's available on the browser i'll probably be corrected on that next show but um yeah our clone browser check it out link in the show notes the other one is i want to talk about another ben from utah uh, wrote in and uh, a recommendation for a good lightweight free and open android launcher he said check out kiss he really likes it he migrated from nova to mm. kiss and um, uh, if I look at the KISS launcher, it's just a blazingly fast uh, launcher focused on search. Um, and just very briefly, four words, keep it simple. Um, I'll I leave out the last one. A smart search, quickly find everything that you need. Privacy first, your data never leaves your phone. KISS does not have internet access. Under 250 KB, which that's quite small. Uh, save on battery life, optimize battery drain. And I also want to mention yet another uh, great Maker's Humble Bundle that um, has appeared on the Humble Bundle. I know we mentioned the Humble Bundle a lot on this show, but I can't help looking at all the titles that come up on it and um, going, oh, I could do with four or five of those books. And I have been getting back into my making a little bit recently. I'll have a chat with chat about that in maybe in the next show or, or a, 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 an upcoming show. And again, a lot of make books there, uh, making makers, getting started with the MakerBot, getting started with little bits. Um, I suppose ones that jump out to me, jump starting with the Raspberry Pi Zero W, jump starting C, um, Arduino controlled robots, etc., etc. Arduino projects, uh, you know the sort of thing that's there. Um, go and check it out. Uh, Linux for Makers is there, which is quite a nice title as well. Um, making things small yeah. talk, sorry, making things talk, getting started with sensors, jump starting your own PCBs. If you're interested in that type of thing, there's a lot of books there that I think will um, will uh, get you clicking the pay now button. Yeah, because a lot of those, though, were in previous bundles. So if you have gotten any of the other bundles, there's very little there to that's new this is true um however you do often see a a, a version update or what are an addition update should i say for books um uh, that you know that might add things that uh, that maybe you want or not Uh, and if you haven't got it before it's great yeah exactly exactly uh for sure so irish saying mark of the show no way. We have to have a German saying of the oh, show. Oh, of course we do. Of course we do. Yeah. I, yeah. So no pr- I'm trying to remember the uh, the last times I've... <laughs> the, the ones I, I, I used before, but... Um, the last actually, one maybe- you did was a kind of... Uh, one of those... Um, wood chop chop kind of ones. <laughs> it was one of the tongue twisters. <laughs> 
Oh, really? Like um, a tongue twister? Yeah, yeah exactly. Ah, uh, that's all. That's all that comes to mind now. Actually, <laughs> yeah. In in German, we'd say Zungenbrecher, which means a, a, literally a tongue breaker. So um, let me think. What uh, listeners will tell if I've used this one before, but. Schnecken erschrecken, wenn Schnecken am Schnecken schlecken, weil zum Schrecken viele Schnecken Schnecken nicht schmecken. And this is all about snails eating other snails, and but they don't taste very good. And um, <laughs> I'll send you the yeah. text as usual. You'll have guys, to, yeah, so. we won't be able to write that out for you. <laughs> that's a lot of Schnecken. <laughs> it, it, indeed, yeah, yeah. So I don't think that's one I've used before, but... No. Um, I'll sort of go through the alphabet of, <laughs> of German tongue twisters every time I'm on the show and, and eventually the cycle round, like the Ubuntu code names, so I'll have to keep going back round to A. Yeah, sure. Um, Excellent. I don't think you have used that one before, actually, um, but don't get me to repeat the ones that you have used before. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, just to check. If you yeah, I haven't perfected them yet. Um, <laughs> great in in season eight we'll uh we'll we'll, we'll, we'll season 12 we'll uh, repeat yeah absolutely all together now uh schnecken von schnecken um uh listen mike it's been great to have you back on and to clear up a lot of those mm. uh things that are uh well even to clear, initially to clear up my understanding between the LibreOffice foundation and the and and our the document foundation and LibreOffice. i promise i have learned something um, but, <laughs> but uh, and and it's great to hear your thoughts and um, and hopefully I ho I hope uh, you guys manage to get what you're after in the way of funding uh, quite soon for 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 what you're you know for LibreOffice and and to get it moving and to get it developed and to get it um, moving forward in such a way that it can uh, sustain itself and 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 help all of us um, in the community as well. Thanks a lot. Thanks for for having me. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's absolutely become a, a good news story because, okay, it started off as a bit of a flame or whatever, but it has now gotten people talking about the right things. So, you know, hopefully everything will continue on going well. Yeah, and and before anybody asked, that none of this was deliberate. Even if even if it has ended up with with good discussions about sustainability and funding free software, yeah, we're not that so much um, geniuses that we have this strategic master plan to do something controversial, yeah. then slightly change it, and uh, it just it worked out sure. that way. I have a picture now of Mike in the background kind of going, hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be the picture of the show. Um, <laughs> great. Well, that's all from me, Wayne, here on this episode of the Binary Time Show. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. It's been absolutely a pleasure to have Mike on again, of course. Um, if you'd like to write into us, write into us to at info at thebinarytimes.net. If you would like to support us or the Document Foundation or, or LibreOffice, I mean, um, yeah, there'll be links in the show notes to how to do that. And, um, and uh, yeah, see you all next fortnight. Indeed. Bye-bye. Bye now. Just listening to a member of the Other Side Podcast Network. Find more at otherside.network. <laughs>